one really says it as well as Queen when it comes to giving some kind of verbal expression of the longings that people like us have in our hearts. Everybody can sing that song without questions because uh, we are a nation of consumers and it seems, according to statistics, a nation of hoarders. On average, we have 30% more space in our homes than we did 20 years ago. Yet what's the first thing that we complain about with all this space? There's nowhere to store our stuff. Is that right? Oh, come on, admit it. Of course. Now, the reason for that, though, is because we hoard more. Ladies, I'm sorry, this one is on you, that ladies are more likely to hoard four times as many clothes as they used to 20 years ago. Men still just have two pairs of jeans and five t-shirts and just rotate. That's just generally what happens. So we are so materialistic, it seems, that we've produced an industry, self-storage, 750 million pounds a year is spent on this. More than half a million people putting stuff that they don't need away in a great big box that they'll never really go into that one day their kids are going to have to clear out. But that doesn't stop us wanting more, does it? No, 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 no. Now, these are not uncommon, uncommon longings for us. As our If Only survey suggests... Of all the different things that this survey produced in terms of what people put as their longings, money and the things money can buy was at the top of the list. If only I was rich, if only I won the lottery, if only I had a million pounds, how modest. If only I had more money, not to give away, but to buy stuff. The question is, will the fulfillment of that longing actually make you happy. Guess what science tells you? Yes, it will. Uh, the scientists physiologically are telling us that whenever you make that purchase on Amazon, particularly when you knock the door's bell rings and you open the door and there's an Amazon purchase given to you, dopamine is released. There's a happy hormone whenever you buy stuff and whenever you receive stuff and especially whenever you get ownership of something. Now we start to understand why kids from such a very young age, whenever they get something, what's the first word? Mine. That's what happens. There's ownership. People, happy hormones are released. But the truth is, money cannot buy you happiness in the long term. Well, maybe it can. The sociologists say you have to get about 100 million in order to make you able to say, that's me. I'm content now. But the vast majority of uh, social scientists and social psychologists would say no. Money and stuff just don't make you happy. Greater wealth does not equal greater happiness. Now, if money doesn't make you happy, what then doesn't make you? What does it make you? To put it bluntly, money makes you mean. Paul Pith, professor of social psychology, at the University of California, gets paid to do this. So he did a great job. This is his job, to research people. Playing Monopoly. Playing, what a great job. He gets paid thousands of dollars for this thing. Anyway, money makes you mean. That was the conclusion that they drew from secretly filming games of people playing Monopoly. Now, here's what they did beforehand, though. They gave one player out of the four three times as much money and a head start. So they had rigged the whole thing. 
Now, guess what happened? The wealthier players, the winning players, started moving the, around the board more confidently than the others. Oh, a roll of six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, ka-ching. And that's what they did. They also started to celebrate. They were much more domineering with their expressions, becoming all the while significantly more rude towards the other people. Indeed, they became bullish. And actually, the, the, one of the funniest parts of this was that they had strategic, they, everything on the table was set out, including the bowl of pretzels. And guess what they found out? The person with the most money who was winning the game ate, guess how many times more pretzels than anybody else? Seven! It's ridiculous. They were like, ha ha, eating away. Well, the problem is, these people in the interview afterwards realized that money didn't, they did not see the fact that money had made them mean. So in fact, we saw from that a double conclusion, money makes you blind. Money is not, in the post-game questionnaires about the serious matters actually that they went on to talk about, like social wealth, winners were actually much more likely in their questionnaire to moralize greed as good. That's not a good thing. Well, if money makes us mean and money makes us blind, maybe there should be a, a warning sign, maybe like we get on cigarette packets, a warning sign on our money, something like, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Actually, that is a real warning. I didn't just make that up. Uh, there's a man called Jesus Christ who walked this earth 2,000 years ago who said those very words. It doesn't appear on receipts, of course. It's written in the book, the Bible, timelessly relevant and trustworthy in what it records. You should actually have a good look into it. Let me give you a little bit of the scenario. Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people who were amazed at what Jesus had been saying, amazed at what Jesus had been doing. There's no one like him, no one performing the kind of deeds like him. They were amazed at the kind of stuff he was saying and the authority with which he was saying it. But he's interrupted by this guy in the crowd. Now, if you're that guy in the crowd, what kind of thing might you ask someone who is claiming to be the almighty son of God? What would you ask that person? Well, the guy's not named, but we're going to call him Mr. Oblivious because he had the Son of God in front of him, able to ask him anything, but what, did he what was he concerned about? Money. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So his brother was being greedy, and Mr. Oblivious was thinking, this is not fair. Now, the man's right. It's not fair, but Jesus sees a much deeper problem in this situation, and instead of saying, be on your guard against mean-spirited brothers. Instead, he said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus then tells a story to show why we shouldn't think that having more money in the things that money can buy will actually make him happier and will actually make us happier. This is how it goes. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now this is a picture of a guy who has made it. 
He's rich. He's invested his wealth in certain ways. He's got this bumper, bumper crop coming that's going to keep him going for years. He might even be able to go down to three days a week. He might even be able to retire early. He's going to have to He's going to have the time to go and work on that golf handicap, catch up on the pile of books that's up at the side of his bed. And as he looks out into the back garden, he's thinking, oh, that place over there would look, that wee sunroom would look fantastic over there. And let's break out those sandals resort holidays. We're going to go on a special one. This guy actually reminds me of uh, a story that John Piper told about a couple called Bob and Penny. They took early retirement from their jobs in the northeast U.S., where it's a little bit colder, and they retired to Punta Gorda, Florida. And this is how they spent their time. They cruised on their 30-foot trawler, occasionally getting off, playing softball, and collecting shells. Now, does that sound like a dream to you? Yes, of course it does. It sounds absolutely fantastic. I mean, isn't that what we try and get with our summer holidays? Just this little taste of that kind of fantasy, if only for a week of sun. Sounds warm. But why is what the farmer in Jesus' story, or Bob and Penny collecting shells, why is what they're doing so bad? Well, it's not that money in itself is inherently bad, or having possessions is inherently bad. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says other things about that. But it's the fact that when you make a bad investment, that's what's bad. Let me explain. Later on this same occasion, when this Mr. Oblivious is calling out to Jesus and asking him for equality with his brother's inheritance, uh, Jesus explains that investing in this life, being greedy for the things in this life with no regard for the next is a dangerous thing. And there are two particular reasons for that, one of which relates to corruption. Corruption, like rust, it's built into the nature of material things. We spend our money on things that rust destroys and insects eat. Secondly, corruption is built into human nature too. Whatever you enjoy, there's somebody around who'll happily take it from you. Thieves, that's why we walk around with keys all the time. But the story of the rich man gives us the most important reason of all to beware greed, and it's death. It's death. The rich man says to himself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, be merry, but God said, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? Now the Bible tells us something very clearly that we're all aware of already, that we are all destined to die. But it tells us something that we might not know, that after death we face judgment. We have to give an account for the way we've spent our lives. And what then will we say? Will we, what will we have to show for our lives? I mean, will we be like Bob and Penny? Uh, here's my shell collection. Will we be able to say things like that? Well, none of the things that we accrue and store up in this life that we put our hope in for satisfaction to meet our deepest longings will fulfill that. They cannot save us. They cannot rescue us. And indeed, even ask the simple question, what happens to our stuff? We can't take it with us. Have you ever seen a hearse with a roof box? No, you don't. 
you, you can't ask the council for a bigger plot in order to take your stuff with you. You'll, you just end up like, like Tutankhamun who thought that he could take all of his stuff with him and buried in his, in his great big tomb with all these treasures around him. If only he saw ahead to what was going to happen. I mean, Tutankhamun's treasures didn't go with him into heaven or hell. They, they just get traipsed around the world like some 1960s rock group being shown off to people. That's what happens to stuff. It's either landfill or memorabilia, museum articles, or somewhere in between. Now, the stuff we amass and the money and the assets we leave behind actually for the likes of Mr. Oblivious and his brother to argue over. And Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. In other words, this, it will be, this is how it will be for the person who lives like they're the most important person in existence and not God. So how do we come to live like that? Well, there's a clue in the passage, actually. There's a clue in the story that Jesus himself told. It all depends on whose voice you're listening to, and there are two that compete. It's your voice or God's voice. These, these, are the story, these are the voices that we hear in this story. The question is, whose voice will you heed? Whose voice will you listen to? Your own voice. Well, we talk to ourselves all the time. The farmer does. Um, as you hear him talk to himself, you hear of him anticipating this great future, great wealth, great food. As happy as he is in himself with his plan, he even addresses himself as friend. Now, the, it's, this story is in the New Testament. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word for friend in here is the word soul. He is addressing his very essence, everything that makes him him, he's saying, hey, self, soul, eat, drink, be merry. Now, is that good counsel or not? Well, you're going to have to have, you're, he's saying you're going to have lots of money, therefore everything's going to be okay. He's given himself advice, really out of his own lack of knowledge. But the advice he's given himself, even though he addresses himself as friend, the advice he's given himself makes him his own worst enemy. What are you telling yourself nowadays? What kind of reassurances are you giving yourself that, hey, life's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. What are you putting your hope in? that money will make you happy, it's just not the answer. I mean, Jesus is telling us that, but surely our own purchases prove that. How often have we had the lawnmower moment where we've bought something and be so thrilled by it and then seen one of our neighbors or someone else has something and then you just think, oh, that sinking longing comes back, the misery cycles round all over again, and we're just not happy. So our experience tells us that more money and the stuff that money can buy just isn't that fulfilling. But what does Jesus say? That's what we tell ourselves. What does Jesus say? 
What would he say to our souls? Well, we've already heard him say, beware of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But he said way more on this topic to help us try and figure this out. Like this, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? Pause. Imagine that for a second. Imagine you gained even the whole of Edinburgh like you were some king or queen of Edinburgh. It was all yours. And everybody had to pay you taxes. Imagine you had all that. How do you think that would feel? Would you do a tram extension? No, I'm joking. I'm not asking about that. You'd be, you'd be like, hey, hello. I'm King Liam of Edinburgh. You know. That's the kind of thing you'd be, of course you would. Imagine you were the king or the queen of the entire world. Imagine you managed somehow to gain the whole world. What good would it be? Yet, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? The same words that the man used. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and reward each person according to what they've done. That's reality. You see, Jesus comes, and Jesus comes to speak some sense into our lives, to reorientate our lives around what is true. He cares enough to do that. He kind of came to grab us by the shoulders and just shake us for our, from our drowsiness and our daydreams about money being the answer to life's longings. He came to say, the only answer to our, you, the longing in your soul fundamentally is me. Now, that's a bold statement. But based on who he is and what he's done, you can't ignore a statement like that from a man like that. He came to say that the only answer to the longing in our souls is him. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it in, his full, in its fullest. And he wasn't talking in financial terms, but he meant it. So what should you be saying to yourself? Not, if only I had more money and the things money can buy, I'd be happy, but if only I had him and the treasures I'll have even after I die, a saved soul and heaven's joy. Now, someone might be saying to themselves just now, well, that all sounds really wonderful, but you've no idea how far I've gone. You've no idea how sinful I have been. You've no idea actually how entrenched in my wealth and what a grip that my finances even have on me. Well, let me tell you about a guy called Zacchaeus before I finish. Zacchaeus was a bad guy in the same time as Jesus, who in his wildest dreams, never ever thought that salvation would come to him, like he could be cleansed of his sins and be made right with God. He was a traitor of the nth degree. If he was in panto, you'd be booing him, right? He's just the worst kind of person in society at that time. Now, one day he clambered up a tree to just to get a glimpse of Jesus who was walking through the town. But instead of passing straight through, Jesus stopped and he says, Zacchaeus, come down today, I'm coming to your house. Now, if somebody surprises you at your door, you don't know that they're coming. And you open the door, you see them there. What are you thinking about? 
the mess in the living room, right? You're thinking, what is the square footage behind my sofa? And will it all fit? Okay? Now, so when someone comes to your door and you're surprised by that, you're concerned about the mess in your living room. When the Son of God says he's coming to your house, you're concerned about the mess in your heart. You don't give a hoot what is, how dirty your house is because you know who it is that's coming to your house. And when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, he gets some perspective. To have the Son of God visit your house and enter into conversation with you, it brings some perspective, right? Well, when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, he sees the mess in his heart. He realizes he's financially rich because he's been robbing people week in, week out. And he sees that he is financially wealthy but spiritually bankrupt, and it breaks him. He just, he just comes under conviction, and from that point on, he's an absolutely changed man. He went from being a taker to a giver. He would be ripping people off for three times the amount of tax that he had to pay. What do we find him giving? To all the people that he's ever stolen from, he's promising a 300% increase to that in what he's going to give back. No longer, you see, was money his treasure. No longer was money the thing that he kept his hands on, that he longed for. No, he went to bed that night a great deal poorer in worldly terms than when he had got up that morning, but he went to bed infinitely richer in heavenly treasure and in happiness because he had treasured Jesus instead. Money was no longer his treasure. Jesus was. I want to say the same transformation is possible for each and every one of us. God can take someone like Jody, like me, like everybody who comes along to this church, people who are messed up, broken in lots of different ways and transform our lives. He can do the same for you. And here's why. Because there's this passage on screen that explains that Jesus came not only to speak some sense back into our souls, but to die on a cross. Actually to do that active work of paying the penalty for all the things that are godless, treasuring of money and the things money can buy to pay the price for that sin and a billion others on the cross and when he died that was our death he died our punishment he paid so that when we believe in him we might have life in his name and he for for you know the generous grace of our lord jesus christ though he was rich yet for your sakes became poor so that by his poverty he might make you rich, not financially, but spiritually, happier than you have ever been. Now, to receive that is as simple as good manners. It's sorry, thank you, please. If you believe it in your heart, you say sorry for what you've done. You say thank you for sending Jesus to pay that penalty and make it possible for us who are enemies to be friends. And you say, please help me to live for you. But that's your call. What do you want to do? Whose voice will you heed? Will you speak to yourself and your own soul saying, it's all going to be okay? Eat, drink, be merry. Or will you heed Christ's warnings? Beware of greed. Your life does not consist in an abundance of possessions or any other pursuit apart from me. I have come that you may have life and have it in the fullest sense. At the very least, please look into it. 
Uh, you'll find on your tables, there are little uh, Matthew's Gospels and Luke's Gospels. These are his historical accounts of, biographical accounts in some sense, of the life of Jesus Christ. Um, these are, the you, if you've got a tr any issue with looking at the Bible, question marks over the historical reliability of it, please speak to one of us. There's some great books on the bookstall that we'd be happy to recommend to you. Um, we bank everything on it, and it's proven itself again and again, and it's trustworthiness. That's a whole other series of sermons. But have a look into it. At the very least, speak to the person who brought you tonight, or come and chat to one of us uh, from being on the platform this evening. We'd be happy to talk to you about it. Now, Dave's going to come and draw the night to a close in a few minutes, but before he does, I've got a question for you. And you can think about it on your own, or you can talk about it in twos or threes. It's completely up to you. There's no pressure whatsoever. But here's the question. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Thanks for listening.